0: Today's reading is taken from Joel chapter 2, verses 18 to 32. Then the Lord was jealous for his land and took pity on his people. The Lord replied to them, I am sending you grain, new wine and olive oil, enough to satisfy you fully. Never again will I make you an object of scorn to the nations. I will drive the northern horde far from you, pushing it into a parched and barren land. Its eastern ranks will drown in the dead sea and its western lights in the Mediterranean Sea. And its stench will go up, its smell will rise. Surely he has done great things. Do not be afraid, land in Judah, be glad and rejoice. Surely the Lord has done great things. Do not be afraid, you wild animals, for the pastures in the wilderness are becoming green. The trees are bearing their fruit, the fig tree and the vine yield their riches. Be glad, people of Zion, rejoice in the Lord your God, for he has given you the autumn rains because he is faithful. He sends you abundant showers, both autumn and spring rains, as before. The threshing floors will be filled with grain, the vats will overflow with new wine and oil. I will repay you for the years the locusts have eaten, the great locusts and the young locusts, the other locusts and the locust swarm my great army that i sent among you you will have plenty to eat until you are full and you will praise the name of the lord your god who has worked wonders for you never again will my people be ashamed then you will know that i am in israel that i am the lord your god and that there is no other never again will my people be shamed and afterward i will pour my spirit on all people your sons and daughters will prophesy your old men will dream dreams your young men will see visions. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days. I will show wonders in the heavens and on the earth, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. For on Mount Zion and in Jerusalem, there will be deliverance. As the Lord has said, even among the survivors, whom the Lord calls. Thanks so much, Alan,
1: for reading. And if you joined us since the start of the service, let me add my welcome to Mark. Shall we pray as we begin? Heavenly Father, thank you that you are a God who speaks. Please would you speak to us today? Amen. I wonder, do you ever get that feeling when you're watching TV or a film and you know it's all getting really exciting, the action's building up, the tension music is growing, there's a big twist or you sense that a big reveal is coming and then the screen goes black and the words, to be continued, flash up on the screen. It can be really infuriating, can't it? I mean, just think about the end of the first season of The West Wing, where there's this assassination attempt on the president and you have to wait until the start of the next season to find out who was shot. Or more recently, um, the second season of Sherlock ends with everyone thinking that Sherlock is dead, that he's killed himself by jumping off the building, and there's a John Watson and Mrs Hudson weeping at his tomb. And then the camera pans round to reveal that Sherlock is in fact alive. And then the screen goes black. Or if we have any Marvel fans among you, um, at the end of Avengers Infinity War when Thanos snaps his fingers, obliterates half the population of the universe, and then we see sort of our superheroes fading away, and then the screen goes black. And you're left that feeling of hanging, of desperately wanting to find out what happens next because this cannot possibly be the end. And that's where, kind of where we ended up in Joel last time when Claire spoke to us a couple of weeks ago on the opening chapters of Joel. And as we saw, the opening of Joel is very bleak. You get this description of this disastrous locust swarm that has ravaged the people of ancient Israel, and it's revealed to be a result of their disobedience and a warning sign of coming judgment. And it ended on a bit of a cliffhanger. There was this plea for God's people to repent and turn back to God because he is gracious and compassionate. And we were left with that hanging question where is their god black screen to be continued and here in the second half of joel chapter 2 we get what follows we get that answer to that hanging question of where god is and we can see that god's last word is not judgment devastation isn't the end there is more to the story we read at the start of our passage today in verse 18 then the Lord was jealous for his land and took pity on his people. God responds. And we see in his response that everything might look bleak, but God's blessings are bigger than what has gone before and God's good news is greater than anything we could imagine. So firstly, looking particularly at verses 19 to 27, we see that God's blessings are bigger. We like to talk about restoration and renewal quite a lot in Parliament when we get to work in this beautiful historic building but the reality is that it's falling apart at the seams and something needs to be done if it's to be restored and renewed for future generations to enjoy. And we get a similar thing in these verses that there's this land that's been ravaged by the locusts and it's in desperate need of restoration and renewal. And we get in these verses an undoing of the destruction and the curses on the land, which had been a result of the people's disobedience. And so we get a promise of this amazing reversal of the destruction that's happened, where everything was desolate and barren before. Now in verse 19, we read that there'll be grain, new wine and olive oil, all signs of God's blessing. And in verse 20, we get the turning back of the invasion that was threatening the land. And then in verses 21 to 23, we get the revitalization of nature, with pastures becoming green, trees bearing fruit, and an abundance of rain. And then in verse 26, God promises to repay them for all the years that the locusts have eaten, even though Israel was the one to blame. All the devastation and destruction is undone. But this isn't just a restoring of the land to what it was like before. God goes above and beyond. There's this wonderful sense of abundance in these verses, and we're particularly looking at verse 24, where it describes threshing floors filled with grain, and vats overflowing with new wine and oil. The people will be satisfied. There'll have plenty to eat until they are full. And then in verse 27, we get the crown of all these promises, the promise that God's presence is with them, that the relationship that had been broken and marred is restored and what a contrast this is to what has gone before. Instead of weeping and mourning, there's now the command to be glad and rejoice in verse 21. And the opening of Joel is thoroughly depressing. It always feels like you're getting this curse upon curse sort of building up to this peak of despair. And in these verses, we get the complete opposite of an overflowing abundance of blessing, restoration and renewal to something even better from what has gone before. God's blessings are bigger. Now we don't know exactly when the book of Joel was written, and in some ways that doesn't really matter because its message is a timeless one. But no doubt some of this promised blessing would have been experienced at the time by ancient Israel in the aftermath of that disastrous locust swarm as the land was revitalized. But as with most Old Testament prophecy, there are often three distinct layers of fulfillment. So some of it would have been fulfilled at the time. Some of it won't have been fulfilled until Jesus came the first time, particularly through his death and resurrection. And we won't get a full fulfillment of this until Jesus comes again and brings about the new creation. Now, you don't need me to tell you that our world is very broken and desolate at times. I mean, you only have to turn on the news and you get scenes of devastation all over the world, whether that's wars, natural disasters, extreme poverty and inequality, And close to home, we'll all experience this too. I mean, all of us will face difficult times in our lives when things will seem desolate and hopeless. Maybe we'll become face-to-face with illness or bereavement. Maybe our political career will come to an untimely end or a relationship will fall apart. And we're left with that sense that everything is barren and hopeless and desolate. But amidst all that, Joel encourages us that this is not the end. There is hope for restoration. And we might get to see some of that now. We might see rays of hope breaking through on our lives. God at work bringing healing and restoration to some of the broken bits. But we can know that one day we will see it in full when God makes all things new. It's a bit like the signs of spring when they appear. I love it when the daffodils start coming out in early March and you get that hope that after a long winter, spring is on its way. Even if like this year, it might take a little while for the weather to catch up. One day, if we put our trust in God, we will see full restoration to all the broken bits of the world. And there's a good picture of this at the end of the Lord of the Rings. I mean, if you know the story, Frodo and Sam had to go and destroy the one ring in Mount Dean. And after they destroyed it, Sam wakes up and he discovers that Gandalf, who he thought was dead, is alive. I'll read a few sentences from the book now. He gasps, Gandalf, I thought you were dead but then I thought I was dead myself. Is everything sad going to come untrue? What's happened to the world? A great shadow has departed, said Gandalf. And then he laughed and the sound was like music or like water in a parched land. And as he listened, the thought came to Sam that he had not heard laughter, the pure sound of merriment for days upon days without count. That's a bit like what the new creation will be like. The troubles of this world are not the end. The shadow will depart. Jesus has defeated sin and evil on the cross and ushered in his kingdom. And it will be fully realised when he comes again. All evil will be undone. All will be restored and renewed and we will get to rejoice forever with our King. God's blessings are bigger. So we can take heart in the meantime, even if things seem bleak and barren at the moment. But Joel doesn't end there. We've seen that God's blessings are bigger. And now in verses 28 to 32, we see that God's good news is greater. And in these verses, we get further blessing, not just of material restoration this time, but spiritual restoration as well. In verses 28 to 29, God promises that he will pour out his spirit on all people. Now, in the Old Testament, God's spirit only came on certain people at certain times. People like priests, prophets, kings. In other words, people who are seen as being in important roles or as being particularly close to God. And it often came on people to deliver a specific message or to complete a specific task. For example, in Numbers chapter 11, Moses is struggling to lead the people of Israel by himself, and so God instructs him to appoint 70 elders to help him out, and God's spirit comes on each of them to enable them to do this. But even then, Moses says, I wish that all the Lord's people were prophets and that the Lord would put his spirit on them. And then fast forward a few hundred years, and Joel prophesies a time when God's spirit would be poured out on all of God's people men and women, young and old, from every socio-economic background. All people will be able to have direct access to God, his power inside them and work in them and through them, empowering them to prophesy and dream dreams and see visions. And as Mark said at the start of our service, this is just what happened on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2, when the Holy Spirit was poured out on all the disciples. And Peter actually quotes these verses from Joel in a speech to the crowd, who were slightly confused by what was going on, and Peter was saying to them, no, this is a fulfilment of this Old Testament prophecy. And empowered by the Spirit, the disciples begin speaking in different tongues, and the good news about Jesus spreads like wildfire, as it's taken to every corner of the earth. That's the story of Acts. And I love that line in the song we sang at the start, and the church of Christ was born, then the Spirit lit the flame. The outpouring of the Holy Spirit enabled the church to grow and spread, from a small bunch of believers huddled in a room to over two and a half billion Christians today. And excitingly, we're still living in this time. Those of us who are Christians get God's Spirit inside us and working through us too. And we too can claim these prophecies, these promises in Joel that we can prophesy and experience the Spirit's power. Now there's not time here to get into the intricacies about exactly what it means to prophesy. But in summary, it is to speak the truths of God in a divinely inspired way. In other words, we get to encounter God directly and are sent out to share that good news about Jesus with others. And what good news it is. God's good news is greater It's the message of salvation for all who turn to God. Yes, we've seen that the day of the Lord is coming, that judgment is coming, but in verse 32 we read, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. There is hope of salvation and mercy. And Paul expands on this a bit in Romans chapter 10, verses nine to 13, which I'll read for us now. Paul writes, if you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you are justified, and it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. As Scripture says, anyone who believes in him will never be put to shame. For there is no difference between Jew and Gentile. The same Lord is Lord of all, and richly blesses all who call on him. For... Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Christianity has at its heart this wonderfully simple message of salvation. You know, other religions and worldviews will say that to be right with God, you have to do a certain number of good things, or complete a long list of rituals, or believe a really detailed set of doctrine. Whereas here we see that all we have to do is call on the name of the Lord, to trust in Him for salvation to declare that Jesus is Lord and believe that he rose from the dead. That's it. We don't have to have every single little thing worked out. It's amazingly (coughs) simple and it's open to all. Now these passages always remind me of when I was a student and I remember being away with my student church and I was having a bit of a crisis of faith. I've always been a bit prone to overthinking and I remember I was grappling with some particular theological issue and I was getting really worried about whether I was actually a proper Christian or whether I was just a bit of a fraud. And we were staying on this converted farm and there was a sort of cellar space being set aside as a prayer area. And I remember one afternoon I headed there with my Bible to spend some time reading and praying and trying to sort of grapple with what it was I believed. And I found myself reading Romans chapter 10 and I noticed the quote there about everyone who calls on the name of the Lord being saved and I saw it was from the book of Joel and thought, I don't know that much about the book of Joel. I'll give it a read. And I sat there and read the whole of Joel in one sitting. Now, as we said, a lot of Joel is very depressing. But I remember just being overwhelmingly encouraged. Because in the midst of all this sort of mess and brokenness, this is one small promise that anyone who calls on the name of the Lord can be saved. You don't have to have it all worked out. I mean, yes, as Christians, we do grow, and it's right to grapple with theological issues and think through how that impacts our lives. But at the root is a very simple message. All you have to do is acknowledge your need for God and to call out for him to help you and trust that in Jesus he will. That is the only qualification. Everything else comes from that. And so I'd encourage anyone here today who hasn't yet called on God's name to do so. You don't have to have everything sorted. You don't have to be perfect. I mean, that's kind of the point that none of us are perfect. All you have to do is declare that Jesus is Lord and believe that he rose from the dead to call on God's name for salvation. And if you're here and you're struggling with that bit about Jesus' rising from the dead, let me encourage you to listen to Tim Farron's wonderful talk from our Easter service a few weeks ago, where he sat out some of the evidence of the resurrection. I think when you look into it, you find that the evidence really is compelling. God's good news is greater. There is hope for salvation. There is the promise of his Holy Spirit. So let's trust in God for salvation. Let's go out and share that good news about Jesus with those around us in the power of the Holy Spirit. This is a promise open to everyone. As we come to a close, we've seen this lunchtime that God's blessings are bigger. Devastation isn't the end. God is in the business of true restoration and renewal. One day everything will be restored and will be better than ever before. And secondly, we've seen that God's good news is greater. Our God looks on us with compassion and mercy when we turn to him and he pours out his spirit so everyone can come to know him and experience his presence and power. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Amen.